Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. This week, it's my pleasure to bring to you a presentation from the LDM Book Volume 2 Tour, October 2020. So, Dr. Adam. Hello, everyone. <laughs> that's easy to come in. Um, so, your talk is going to be on low dose naltrexone prescription basics. So, we've been getting a lot of questions on mechanism and that sort of thing. So, this is what's going to co cover um, the kind of nuts and bolts this talk. Uh, so Adam is a compounding pharmacist that works extensively with bioidentical hormones, thyroid compounds, low-dose naltrexone, and customized pain creams. He's also a clinical pharmacist with Nutricum Biomedical Clinic, where he's helped many patients navigate the complex Canadian medical cannabis system. He understands the intricacies of cannabis therapeutics, including forms, ratios, dosages, and interactions with other medications. As a clinical pharmacist focusing on medication deprescribing and medical cannabis, Adam believes that prescription drugs can be a useful tool in a healthcare provider's toolbox. However, for many chronic conditions, they simply aren't that effective and can be quite unsafe and difficult to discontinue. Adam helps guide appropriate patients away from harmful drugs such as proton pump inhibitors, benzodiazepines, opioids, and sleeping pills through Nutrichem's deprescribing program. So since you're a pharmacist, you're the, like, I think pharmacists are so cool because you're the one really on the interface between um, the patients actually getting their LDN prescriptions. So mm -hmm. you see, you know, in Ottawa, because we are not a compounding pharmacy in Ottawa and there's not that many anymore, you're seeing pretty much most of the majority of prescriptions of LDN actually coming through to patients. So um, you know, tell me a little bit more uh, about this. Like, what are the types of conditions you're seeing this being treated for in Ottawa specifically? Oh, tons of conditions, probably 50 plus, and the list goes on. I mean, Linda just wrote her second book on LDN too, just continuing more areas where LDN is so applicable for helping to treat um, almost any condition where there's an autoimmune component as well as an inflammatory component, LDN could be a potential therapy. Um, and I mean, this is just a list from our dispensary, but we are currently have patients using LDN uh, for autoimmune thyroid conditions like Hashimoto's, uh, Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, chronic Lyme, complex pain syndromes like C uh, CRPS, uh, different types of cancers, HIV AIDS, um, things like chronic itch, eczema and psoriasis, which have uh, an autoimmune or inflammatory component. Uh, a lot of ophthalmological conditions are sort of emerging where LDN could be useful as well for the cornea, the retina, and also like severe dry eye, oh. and then tons of digestive conditions. And that's where I've seen actually some of the most dramatic results. It was really awesome that Kent was before me because as a, as a pharmacist in our dispensary, I would actually say the most sort of dramatic life-changing effects I've seen from LDN have actually been in digestive conditions like Crohn's and IBS. That's not to say it's not effective in other areas, but just from my clinical experience in our dispensary, we do so much with digestion and I've seen LDNs just do so much good for people with digestive issues. Okay. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. Dr. Junik and I were sort of alluding to that and she was saying, you know, there is some interesting case studies. And so that's something she'd like to explore, but clinically I've seen it as well with Crohn's 
massive decreases in CRP and yes. inflammatory marker, you know, going from 20 to less than one um, in six months of use. So I think that's pretty cool. Now, mm. I think it would be really interesting for you to tell us how do you counsel someone when they're about to start their first LDN prescription in terms of safety, how to use it, what to expect. Yeah, so I'll Pretend probably, I'm a patient. Yeah, so I'd actually start with how we dose it. Because there's there's sort of a standard way that we we titrate up the dose. You want to build up the dose in most patients. And if you want to share my slides, I just have a couple of sort of mock uh, prescriptions. Yeah, and if you just go to the first slide there. Okay. You go to the first one. So we sort of have two general protocols um, that are actually pretty similar that we typically will use for building up low-dose naltrexone in our patients. So if patients are very, very sensitive or if they have an autoimmune condition, uh, many allergies or sensitivities, they tend to react to a lot of medications or react to supplements. We go with more sort of the low and slow approach. So this would be what you're seeing on the screen right now. So this is actually very similar to the actual prescriptions we would see right in our dispensary. I would actually get this from a prescriber and it would just say LDN or low-dose naltrexone. You're going to take 0.5 milligrams by mouth once daily. And we typically do it at bedtime because clinically it tends to get a little bit better results when you take it at bedtime. And Junik talked about that as well, that pulsatile effect that it has. Exactly. So we'd like it at bedtime. We clinically do see better effects when they take it at bedtime. Um, and then we will typically build that up in two-week increments. So you'd go 0.5 milligrams at bedtime for two weeks. As long as it's tolerated okay, after another two weeks, you build up to one milligram, two weeks to 1.5. So you'd be building up by 0.5 milligrams every two weeks. And that's the low and slow approach for patients with autoimmune conditions. And if they're very sensitive, lots of allergies, sensitivities, they tend to get a lot of side effects from medications. And that tends to be a lot of these LDN patients in general, because they you know, tend to have a lot of inflammation or autoimmune issues, they tend to be very reactive. So we build them up very slowly. If you go to my next slide, in patients that are maybe not as sensitive, we actually try to ramp them up quicker. Um, so we would actually do LDN, take 1.5 milligram by mouth once daily at bedtime for two weeks. So we would actually start at 1.5 okay. and we go up by 1.5s every two weeks at bedtime. And typical maintenance dose would be 4.5 milligrams. Not everyone lands there though. The actual maintenance dose range is typically 1.5 to 4.5. So I have some patients that are doing amazing on 4.5 milligrams, and we have some patients that are doing just as well on 1.5 milligrams. Okay, so is it sort of um, one of those things that you increase if you don't feel an effect, or is it just you increase and if there's a side effect, potentially you back off or how do you counsel it? Like yeah, we try to find the therapeutic sweet spot and it's actually sort of similar to what we do with our cannabis, but I, I won't get off topic. But what we are trying to find is the spot where you're starting to see a therapeutic effect with minimal side effects. And it can be a little tricky with LDN because one thing, you know, if you were a patient that I was counseling, we would definitely want to talk to you about like, look, this isn't like a, an NSAID or an anti-inflammatory drug or an opioid where, you know, within four to six hours, you're going to see a difference in pain. You're going to have to take this for for a few weeks to a few months to shift the immune system enough to start to see a reduction in inflammation, a reduction in autoimmunity. Um, so when, when patients are coming in, one of the big things we talk about with, in terms of efficacy is trying to sort of um, make their expectations realistic of like, look, if this isn't working in two weeks, that doesn't mean LDN is not gonna work for you. Keep building it up as tolerated. And we're gonna try to, usually we say, give it at least three months where we should be seeing something. And obviously compliance is really important because um, like you said, 
if it's dosed at night, the effects are probably worn off. So you need to really make sure you're getting that next dose in the following night. Yeah. So the half-life of naltrexone itself is about four to six hours. Okay. And it also has a metabolite that is effective for about 13 hours. So you, you do need to take naltrexone every single day. And in order to get the effects for these chronic conditions, you're going to need to take it for weeks to months and be quite compliant taking it every day at bedtime. And what, uh, what about safety and side effects? This is a question we've gotten, you know, what are, what are, you know, what are the side effects that you talk to people about? And this is probably one of the biggest advantages and one of the biggest sort of beauties of LDN is it's... Oh, are we done with this presentation? Uh, I said one more slide, oh, but I'll, sorry. we don't need to, we can, uh, you don't need to share the screen anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go back to us. Perfect. Um, this is what I love about LDN is, uh, and one of the consultation companies that we work with in our pharmacy, you know, they all always jokingly say, you know, the best candidate for LDN is anyone with a pulse, which is a bit of an exaggeration and overgeneralization, but LDN is so safe that almost anyone could probably have a trial with it. As long as you don't have very severe liver problems, because it's very liver metabolized, and, and you're not on, ideally not on opioids, um, almost anyone could have a trial of LDN. And there's not really a lot of side effects. You're going to be taking it at bedtime because therapeutically it works better. Um, but one of the issues you have with that, even if you took it earlier in the day, is it does cause some sleep disturbances and vivid dreams. That's probably the biggest thing we counsel people on. Uh, partly because of the literature, it shows that, that people do get strange or vivid dreams, not necessarily nightmares, just almost like many of these patients remark, like I had very strange dreams on that. I guess it is hitting opioid. It has an impact on that system. So yeah, anytime you're affecting sort of dreams, you know, you're getting at sort of a deep rooted receptor system, um, similar with cannabis actually. Um, but sleep disturbances are probably the main one. People can get headache, fatigue, a little bit of loss of appetite. Uh, they are exploring it for weight loss. Uh, GI side effects. So you can get a little bit of nausea, stomach upset, constipation. Some people get some hair thinning effects. Um, it is blocking opioid receptors, which is uh, going to reduce the efficacy of what are called endorphins. So some people do get a mild mood effect. They feel a little bit of dysphoria or mood swings. Um, less so on low dose, that's more high dose naltrexone. Um, some people feel a little disoriented or, or loopy on it. But again, these are, these are pretty rare. Most patients, it's very well tolerated. The main side effect is sort of the sleep disturbances. And usually that's what we call a transient side effect. After a few days, and once they're at their maintenance dose, that sort of relents or, or gets better and is less troublesome. And so we have a question right here. Does it matter how close to bed that you take uh, take it uh, right before you get into bed or an hour before? Do you tell people the specifics? Clinically, I wouldn't worry about getting too lost into the weeds of one hour taking it. Most people take it an hour or two before they go to bed. But it's okay either way? Yep. Okay. Yep. The, the real key is the compliance of taking it every single day. Mm -hmm. And ideally near bedtime seems to get a better therapeutic result. So it can be near bedtime or right at bedtime. And Either is fine. And so you alluded to anyone with severe liver um, issues wouldn't be a candidate potentially because it's heavily metabolized. Are there any, is there anyone else who wouldn't be a, a candidate for LDN? In theory, it is a contraindication to use it if you're still on opioids. Okay. Clinically, we have seen patients that are sort of tapering off of opioids or trying to come off of opioids while building up LDN to help with their chronic pain. And we have not seen them go into severe withdrawal. So naltrexone is an orally bioavailable sort of version 
of naloxone, which we know is the opioid re uh, reversal uh, agent that they use for opioid overdose. Uh, naltrexone is just an orally available version of that injection. Uh, naloxone does not work orally. So naltrexone, if you were taking, for example, a high dose of naltrexone uh, at the same time as taking opioids, you could put someone into opioid withdrawal, which is not ideal. However, when you're on low dose naltrexone, I have seen patients, and it's been helpful to help them come off of opioids on an opioid while they're on LDN, and I have not seen them go into kind of a severe withdrawal. Because again, low dose naltrexone is not going to bind all of the mu opioid receptors that it acts on and puts you into a, a heavy withdrawal. That would be more of a high dose naltrexone. Mm, okay. And what about, and that's funny, I was just about to ask, and so, then we got the question here. Yeah. Uh, is it safe to take with other medications? So what about drug interactions? There's actually very few drug interactions. The only contraindications, and it's theoretical, so it's a bit of a gray zone, is opioids, like I was saying. Uh, that's kind of the main one. There are a couple of rare medications, but almost, you know, I went through this with the pharmacist the other day, like 99% of common medications are compatible with low-dose naltrexone. Okay. So again, the safety and the lack of interactions just make it such a useful tool. And so how does it work? <laughs> That's Tell a great us question. about it. You can find full days of lectures on the mechanism of low-dose naltrexone. And they're on the LDN Research Trust. Yeah, and they have some great um, mechanistic talks. Because we're just here for 20 minutes, I'm not going to get too into all the various mechanisms of how LDN seems to work. But long story short, um, it's an opioid receptor antagonist. And we're taking it at a low dose. So what it goes in and it, what it does is it goes in and it actually blocks what are called uh, opioid receptors. And, and particularly it likes the mu opioid receptor at a low dose. So it blocks up some of those receptors. And in doing so, you block um, what are naturally, what are called your endogenous endorphins. So your endorphins, you probably heard of endorphins with exercise or the runner's high, things like that. They, they help you feel good and they regulate things like the immune system. They regulate a lot of things. But when you use naltrexone, you temporarily block those opioid receptors so the endorphin can't get in there. When the endorphin can't get in there, your body, this is what's called a positive feedback mechanism. Your body goes, oh, well, we're making all these endorphins, but we're not getting the endorphin effect that we're used to now that this drug is there. We're going to make more endorphins. This is your body talking. <laughs> and when you upregulate endorphins, that has very positive effects on the immune system. And you can start to regulate your immune system better. You'll see inflammation come down. You'll see autoimmunity come down. You'll see better tissue repair. You'll see reduction in inappropriate cell proliferation or growth, which is cancer. Um, so those. Are the, so if you pull up my slide, I, I sort of summarize this. And this is a very oversimplified um, mechanism for LDN. Which is what we want for today. Which is all we want for today. <laughs> I, we could probably do a full like two hours just on all the proposed mechanisms of LDN. But th this is sort of a summary slide that I like to go to that I put together um, that sort of breaks it down uh, for the general public. So low-dose naltrexone leads to upregulation of endogenous endorphins. That's kind of I think one of the pathways that does a lot of the help, can you just go back to that? Oops, sorry. What happened here? There we go. So I think of the upregulation of the endogenous endorphins sort of as the pathway that does a lot of the heavy lifting. And that leads to the reduced autoimmunity and improved immune function. So we see that reduction in autoimmunity. You get a reduction of inflammatory cytokines through LDN. And a lot of that seems to be through things uh, like certain receptors in the immune system. Um, and that causes, leads to reduced inflammation. You get a blockade of opioid receptors in the GI tract. And I, I wanted to specifically put this one in there because I've seen some of the most dramatic effects on GI conditions, gastrointestinal conditions with LDN. And you see an improvement in those gastrointestinal conditions. Could you just, uh, yeah. sorry. Oh, wow. So it actually blocks receptors 
right in the GI tract. Yeah, and I wanted to include that in there because that seems to be one of the leading mechanisms for things like Crohn's. And, and you, yeah, you, you seem to, the blockade of those, some of those opioid receptors in the GI tract seems to be very useful for things like IBS and Crohn's. And it also improves the regulation of T cells in your immune system called Treg, and also these specific ones that they've investigated called Th17, which leads to the inhibition of inappropriate growth of cells, which is basically cancer. So you get reduction in certain types of cancer cell growth. So that's sort of my summary slide. That is a gross oversimplification of LDN. The, the mechanism of LDN is, is pretty complex. Um, and when you get into how, if when something so broadly affects the immune system, you better believe it's gonna have a very complex mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a good simplification that we've put together. That's so interesting. I'm learning a lot today as well. Dr. Junik alluded to this and, and now you're talking more about the mechanism. I think it's so interesting because it really fits into the whole root cause because it's acting as a blocker, yet it's allowing your body to overproduce mm. its own anti-inflammatory. Yeah, LDN fascinates me because the deeper I go down, the more and more I'm like, oh, it's sort of replicating some of these natural processes. Like, I'll, I'll sort of throw a rhetorical question at you, but maybe you'll answer it. Like... <laughs> What, el what else is a way to upregulate endorphins naturally? Exercise. Yes. So right? to me, a lot of this benefit and exercise helps with hundreds of different conditions. Mm -hmm. So LDN, when I'm looking at the pathways that LDN affects, I'm like, this is very much like cardiovascular exercise in terms of upregulating endorphins, which helps you better regulate your immune system. And mood and, you know, all these other things that don't just relate to the physical cardiovascular health. How can it help, you know, with all these mm -hmm. other conditions? But the issue when you're so, and Kent and I were discussing this is, this vicious cycle, when you're so inflamed and in so much pain, you cannot produce, you cannot exercise enough to produce more of those endorphins and hit those receptors. So exactly. you do need to start relying on things to kind of shift you into a different state. So you can begin to hopefully one point engage in other activities. That exactly. Will... It's not always plausible to say, hey, you need to start exercising. Well, if you're full of inflammation and arthritis and your joints are hurting and you're not going to be able to exercise, but LDN can kind of artificially give you this upregulation of endorphins to, to ease that. And then maybe we can get you actually exercising in a few months or something. So very cool. This is news to me. I'm learning a lot about how LDN works today. Now you've alluded to it a couple of times. A couple, uh, Junik and Kent were talking about it as well, but since you are the cannabis um, pharmacist at NutriCam and you've created our cannabis program, I know there's a lot of interesting similarities between cannabis and LDN, and uh, I just wanted to, you know, hear your thoughts on that. And Yeah, yeah I, I mean, yeah, I, I, anytime you look at the receptor system, like the opioid receptor system, it's very ancient. So it, it's what do you mean by ancient yeah so i mean evolutionarily ancient so when you look at the genetics and how evolution has worked in developing so, so you can look at evolution from a, an organism point of view but if you get into molecular pharmacology molecular biology you can actually go back and look at mutations and changes in proteins and receptors over time and the opioid receptor system is one of the most ancient receptor systems it's been around for billions of years before humans were around invertebrates lobsters these sort of very basic organisms 
are full of opioid receptors. This is not a trivial receptor system. It's interconnected with everything. And that's very much like the endocannabinoid system. It has an impact on the immune system, fertility, hormones, same thing with opioids, same thing with the endocannabinoid system. So they're these ancient systems that are ingrained and interconnected with all of your physiological systems. So sometimes when people, you know, people look at LDN, it's sort of a panacea. You can, I never know how to pronounce that. Panacea, I don't know. Panacea. I said panacea it's too. It's a cure all, it, or it seems to have these almost too good to be true properties of like, oh, it works for hundreds of different conditions. Well, it's kind of like cannabis in that it's affecting this receptor system that has these hugely broad effects on the immune system, inflammation, uh, hormones, like there's just these such widespread effects. So I see a lot, I, I work a lot with cannabis, but when I study LDN and I see what you can do with the opioid system, I'm like, this is very similar. You're dealing with these like deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained systems in your body that are, are very evolutionarily ancient and have such widespread effects. So they are different in, in their mechanisms, the deep sort of nitty gritty mechanisms, but they're similar in that they're very old, very important, and they can work for a lot of different conditions. Yeah. And I think that's so, I mean, I'm just finding it fascinating because, you know, when you talk about gut health, we're talking about gut health, how it relates to mental health, how it relates to pain, how it relates to cancers, inflammatory conditions, thyroid health. When we talk about LDN, we're talking about in the scope. And then you do hear a lot of people talk about cannabis, how it is a treatment for a whole bunch of different areas, but we kind of scoff at that a little bit because mm. of the reputation that it's gotten. And I guess more, we're talking more CBD. Are we talking more CBD? Well, this is also where it's similar to LDN in, in when you talk about cannabis it's kind of like talking in general about naltrexone there's nuances to it are you talking about low dose naltrexone or higher dose naltrexone because they have different effects at different doses same thing with cannabis a cbd dose at a low dose could help you sleep or help improve anxiety at a high dose it can actually become a full-blown anticonvulsant and help reduce seizures same thing with thc a lot of times when people talk about the risks or the safety issues with cannabis I'm kind of going, you're not talking about cannabis, you're talking about high dose THC or basically recreational dose THC. Over on the medical side, we would use a lower dose, more precise dosing of THC. And that can actually sort of reduce anxiety. At a high dose, THC can cause anxiety. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a huge, it, it's like LDN in that it's how you dose it. There's a nuance to it. Mm -hmm. And you just talk about naltrexone, that's sort of meaningless because low dose naltrexone is quite different and more effective for what we're talking about than full dose naltrexone. Full dose naltrexone or higher dose naltrexone, which would typically be naltrexone anywhere from 50 to 150 milligrams typically, that's only really used and it's not very effective for opioid use um, disorders and alcohol use disorders. And it's not really used much because you have to take it every day. People have this daily decision of, do I take my naltrexone or do I just take the opioid and feel better or yeah. drink alcohol? So it's almost like disulfiram or antabuse with alcohol in that it, it works if you take it every day, but compliance can be tough. Of course, for sure. And now, now I'm just kind of spiraling into different thoughts of what you brought up. Do we have endogenous? So what that means is do we, do our bodies make just like the opioid system, we make endogenous um, molecules that hit the opioid system. Mm. Does that happen with cannabis? Can the endocannabinoid system as well? Absolutely. Anytime you have receptors for something and you just like you're full of opioid receptors, you're full of cannabinoid receptors. Uh, it's, it's an important receptor system. Um, so what we would need is something that blocks it. 
a little lower so that our body has to make more well, that's if we're it. talking in the realm of LDN. Yeah, and, and the two main endogenous cannabinoids that have been studied are called anandamide, and that's kind of the main one. And there's another one called 2-AG, uh, and those seem to be released when you do things like exercise, meditate, uh, doing certain breathing exercises, uh, near-death experiences even, uh, have shown to, to have these surges in cannabinoids. But cannabinoids are very important for mood, immune function. So I, I see a lot of parallels between the cannabinoid system and the opioid system and how naltrexone works and how cannabis works. Mm -hmm. It's so, so interesting. One is, you know, working on upregulating and the other one is kind of calming it down on its own. Mm -hmm. So in practice, do you see like on the more cannabis side, are there people that you see where cannabis might not work for them or you've reached a threshold and you're like, I don't know if CBD would work. And then you you know, refer them for LDN? Yeah, well, I have a number of patients with chronic pain, for example, that where we use cannabis along with LDN, you can use them together. Okay, so they're totally yeah. safe to use together. Yeah, and I mean, I, I partly learned a lot about this and these parallels between the two systems working with cannabis and also having chronic pain patients that also use uh, low-dose naltrexone with their cannabis and they're compatible. You can use them together. Okay, well, that's really, really interesting to, I'm, I'm learning all of, about this right now. So that's super interesting. And then lastly, you know, I think one of the things that I was talking about in your bio as well is, and again, Dr. Junik and I were kind of alluding to this is the whole notion of deprescribing how that sort of fits in because you know, we do see people with these stacked regimes of so many different medications because there's no answer. So they're going to the specialist, getting something and they're going somewhere else and everybody's trying new things, but nothing tends, like, I mean, I see it. Nobody takes anything away. We just keep adding and adding and adding. Mm -hmm. And so when you bring something like LDN in and there are results and people are feeling better with pain, a lot of the time, you know, I don't know if you see it, but I do see a lot of side effects kind of inhibiting the growth that we can have and the progress that you can make with a patient because they're very, very powerful, but it's very difficult to get them off of some of these medications. So that's something that you do as well. Yeah. So I work a lot with deprescribing um, and I work with a number of substances. We probably want to focus in on opioids here. There's an opioid crisis. Yeah, opioids. In particular, like opioids is probably what you're getting at. I mean, that's what I'm getting There's at. an opioid crisis and we're trying to get people away from opioids, but that's all well and good. How are you going to treat their pain then? Um, and, and, and sometimes we're not even treating their pain. They're just stuck on opioids because that was the old guideline. But for a lot of forms of pain, opioids don't even work that well. And you can actually get what's called hyperalgesia. So it's a good idea for us to start shifting away from opioids. Well, I mean, in terms of deprescribing off opioids, if you're going to replace those and get people off, you've got to replace it with something. Cannabis and LDN are two very good options for complex chronic pain. And you'd have to obviously work with someone who knows what they're doing because that's sort of when it gets really tricky is using LDN to deprescribe someone off an opioid because yeah. technically that is the like known, In theory known... you could cause an opioid withdrawal which is very unpleasant. In clinical practice we have not seen it and we do have patients where we actually have seen them cross taper as they gradually bring up that LDN we want them slowly coming off of the opioid and I but ideally we don't want you on an opioid with LDN because it's you, you've got two drugs sort of fighting each other. You're taking a drug and then you're taking another drug to block the effects of that drug, that's never really ideal. Right. But when someone's coming off an opioid, you, you can't just tell them to stop. They're going to go into withdrawal anyway. So you've got to taper that gradually. And in the meantime, we can titrate up LDN and have them use LDN for their chronic pain or autoimmunity over time. And maybe some cannabis, for example, to help as well. 
Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, I hope you guys are learning a lot. I'm really, I've learned a lot from all these talks so far. Last question. Um, I, I think I've gotten a couple of these around the timing. And so you must see this in pharmacy. People yeah. always in pharmacy get hung up on, oh, take this with this, take this at this time. To be honest, if you were taking the LDN, I, I, clinically, it does seem to work the best if you take it near bed. But does it have to be no. nine o'clock? No. Do you, does it have to be within the hour? No, I would say no. Two hours. I've seen some patients <laughs> that take it just after dinner in the evening. I've seen some patients if, that take but it are, right But do bed. they have to do it at the same time every day? Like if they are choosing to do after dinner, is that their time? Ideally, yes. Ideally, yeah. But if okay. you forgot and don't take your dose until bedtime, it's still much better to just take the dose. Okay. People tend to overthink the timings of some medications. Um, LDN is pretty straight, pretty easy. Take it in the evening near bedtime, ideally around bedtime. Ideally, same time every day. If you forget it, still take it, even if it's an hour or two later. Okay. It, it's still going to okay. have Just a get it in your system, yeah. basically. <laughs> but I mean, try and take it at the same time every night around there. Yeah, of That's course. That's the take-home message. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. That was a great talk. Thank you. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.